Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. If you're joining us online, thank you also. Um, where is Nate? Where is Nate? Nate, are you in here? Where are you, buddy? Right here. Okay, I want you to know how much time Nate spent working on those lines about this whole Super Bowl thing and caring and go for two and all that stuff. So if you could tell him at the end of the service how funny you thought it was, I'd really appreciate that. Because he spent two days writing that material. Honestly, Daniel, who does our worship, is our communications guy. Daniel was the ghostwriter. He wrote those lines. He just fed them to Nate. How many remember, we talked about educators, praying for educators. How many remember the fire drill back in the day? Come on, come on. Thank you, thank you. Participate in a fire drill. Why did you want to do, why did the school have you do a fire drill? To be prepared, right? If something happens and it's an emergency, kids, staff, faculty, we're prepared. We know where to go. We don't want to be caught unprepared. Well, life is full of storms, and like that, Jesus wants us to be prepared. Um, so, he's going to tell us how this morning. So, if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 7, 24 to 29, we're going to go through this, and we're going to talk about how do we prepare for the storms of life? How do we prepare for the storms of life? Now, as you're turning there, it's just dawned on me. Like last week, I forgot to mention at the beginning that we're going to be starting the book of Revelation next week. So this is like, I'd lose points. In seminary, I'd lose points for this because I'm going off topic. I was supposed to do this before, but I forgot. But I'm not in seminary, so there's no one to take points off. So next week, we'll be starting the book of Revelation. And we want to invite you to think along with us in it. And so to that end, we have linked two videos on our our webpage, on our Facebook page, they're put out by the Bible Project, and they're an overview of the book of Revelation. So would you do that? Before next Sunday, would you look at those videos? They're 11 minutes each, and they will give you an overview on the book of Revelation. Now, after that segue, we're back to how do we survive the storms of life? Jesus is going to talk to us about that in our passage today. So we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to give us an overview of where we've been And then how we'll close. So Matthew 5 begins to record this. And Jesus has a crowd of people around him. And they say, um, or Jesus says, let me tell you about my kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. We understand that we're experiencing the rule of God in part because we have the choice. God gives us the choice to whether to submit to him or not. Now, there's a day coming. Revelation will even talk about this, where Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom for good on earth. But we're in that middle ground. We're experiencing it in part. And Jesus says, let me tell you what it looks like to be in my kingdom. Let me tell you the characteristics, what's expected of those who are in my kingdom. He gives us the Beatitudes. Those are first recorded in Matthew 5. Things like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said the people who are approved in my kingdom, they're living these things out. And Jesus says, here's the catch. You start living these values out, you're going to be out of step with the culture. You're going to be different. We don't handle different very well, and you'll be persecuted for that because you've got a different priority. You've got a different value system. Well, if we're going to be persecuted, why doesn't God just kind of take us right out? Because Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt was a preservative. It was rubbed into meat to slow decay. Jesus said, not only that, but you're the light of the world. 
In the Bible, everything that is awful, everything that is destructive, everything that is related to death and pain and suffering is captured in the metaphor of darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light. What does the light do to the darkness? Well, it dispels it right away. She said, not only am I the light of the world, but church, individually and corporately, you are the light of the world. I want you to set your light high where it can be seen. Well, Jesus, man, you are, you are speaking with a lot of authority. Are you doing away with the Old Testament? And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. In fact, the whole, I'm fulfilling the Old, Old Testament. It actually points to me. And he says, an example, I'm, I'm going to go through six examples of where I, I complete or fulfill or expand the teaching of the Old Testament. First, he says, the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not commit murder. And most of us think, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm good. He says, no, 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 no. If, if you've been angry with somebody, you're guilty of murder, because it's as if you wish they weren't there. Then he takes the seventh commandment, he says, you should not commit adultery. Well, I've never been with another woman besides my wife, I'm good. No, no, if you've longed or if you've thought about that, being with another woman, you're, you're guilty of adultery. Along the marriage of, uh, topic of adultery leads to marriage. A lot, in Jesus' day, a lot of men were just writing certificates of divorce. God had allowed for divorce, but it was never his desire. And so Jesus made that known. Then I think on this, he took the, the uh, religious leaders to task. They had taken the Old Testament. They'd added 640 precepts, and they'd kind of made up their own rules. And one of those was, if, like, if I give you my word, but I swear by the altar, well, then I'm only 60% responsible for following through. But if I swear by the gold in the altar, well, then it's 80%. And they played this game where I look like I'm giving you my word, but I'm really not because I've got this really... And Jesus said, stop. Stop with the foolishness. Stop with the nonsense. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, say it. If, and then follow through if you're not. Then Jesus says, I'm going to expand the teaching of Moses. Moses said, uh, equal retribution. You can't go farther than you've been hurt. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm going to change that. You're in my kingdom. You follow me. You give up your right to equal retribution. Somebody slaps you on the cheek. My, our attitude is, Jesus said, no, no, no. You turn the other cheek. Yeah, because I demonstrated a lack of retribution. You follow me in that. Finally, Jesus said, it is said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Apparently in Jesus' day, it had become okay to hate. Jesus said, I say for you, uh, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you for real. That's the standard, or some of the standards of my kingdom. And Jesus said, just so you know, if you're looking to make it on your own by your work, you've got to be perfect as your heavenly Father's perfect. Well, that could set up a kind of a, a desire to impress others. You know, Jesus has talked about us being people of faith, but being, living it out, and, and maybe I want to impress you with my, my godliness or, or, or whatever. And Jesus said, be careful. For example, when you give or when you pray, or when you fast, don't do it to impress other people. Because if you're doing it to impress other people, you already have your reward, reward in full. There's no reward in eternity. Moreover, you're, you're a hypocrite. Because you're playing this part like, look at me, look, look, how, look how godly I am. Well, you don't care anything about God. You, you care about impressing others. And Jesus said, to, let's just carry that forward. In fact, you're not living for the approval of the world. You're not living for anything of this world. You're, you're living for that which is eternal. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, you can't serve God and you can't serve mammon. 
everything the world has to offer. In fact, it's so much so that I, I want you so committed that my kingdom, you're not even worried about the, the essentials of life, like food and clothing. She said, look at the, the birds of the air and how God feeds them and the lilies of the field, how God clothes them. How much more will he clothe you? So, so don't worry. Well, given these standards and given these norms that God has put forward, it'd be very easy for us to set ourselves up as the kingdom place. And I walk into church and I see you and I see you and I think you and in my heart I think, Jesus says, careful, 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 careful. The way in which you judge others, so you'll be judged. It's not to mean we stop thinking. It's not to mean we stop evaluating. We stop discerning. But it's a warning against having a judgmental heart, about being judgment being our default mode. And she said, oh, by the way, you know, you're real good to find the, the speck in your, your brother's eye, but you don't have to see the big old log in your zone. Before, before you go look at others, make sure you get the, the log out of your eye. And then, given these expectations, it'd be easy to think, I don't measure up. And Jesus said, man, you, you don't. That's why I've given you prayer. And he said, you know, if you'll come to me, I'm a good God longing to give you good gifts. And, and often we, we take this verse out of context where the, God longs to give us our request, and we think, well, it's a new car, it's a new house. But it's given in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to build this kind of character into you. I want to build these qualities in you. And, and he says, how much, even an earthly father, when he asks, kid asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a stone or a snake. If, if earthly fathers are good, how much more am I going to give you that what is good? So Jesus was coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and like every good preacher, he brings his listeners to a point of application. It's not just enough to hear this. You need to act in this. In fact, I'm going to give you a series of choices, and we looked at three of those choices last week. One was uh, uh, two roads. There was a narrow road that leads to life, and there was a, a broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus said, you pick one or the other. Well, can we fuse the two? Can we merge? No, no, no. no. You pick one or the other. Then Jesus said, there's two trees. One bears good fruit, one bears bad fruit, and he was using them to symbolize false prophets and true prophets. Who was truly speaking for God, and who was teaching something other than what God Said, and, and God's people loved false prophets because they gave an easier message. Jesus said, you, you choose. You can follow one or the other, but you can't fuse the two. And finally, he said, there's, there's two claims. There's somebody claiming to be God, and, and they've got the right doctrine, and they've done things, and they've cast out demons. They've done other miracles in Jesus' name, but Jesus said, I never knew you because you didn't obey my law. You had a profession of faith, but it wasn't played out in the way you lived. There's a second person who professed Christ and, and lived out God's norms and expectations. So it's a series of three choices. It's not just enough to have heard the sermon and I thought, wow, that's, that's really deep, that's really good. Hey, even Gandhi, who was not a follower of Jesus, said the Sermon on the Mount is a good thing. But Gandhi didn't get the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're broken before God. We, we need and, and everything he has to offer. And so Jesus is saying, we just don't need to know this. We need to live it out. And that's where we start in verse 24. Therefore, okay, so that's a, that's a connecting word. This is connecting with what's been said. In line with all these choices, here's a fourth choice. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. So we got two houses, both freshly painted. Both up to date in their appliances. Both landscaped perfectly. Lawns having been serviced with true green and the green is coming out. And they've got a security system and they've got a fence around it. And man, they... They look the same. But Jesus says there's a big difference. And it's underneath. It's the foundation on which they built. And for a while, it's okay. Until the storm comes. Then one stands and one falls. It's a parable. These two foundations stand for two different people. One wise One foolish. Having read that parable, let me ask you, what was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Was it that one knew the word of God and the other didn't? Nope. They both knew it. They both had it. But one decided to put it in practice and the other didn't. We're big about preaching the Word of God. And we encourage you, we beg you to be in the Word on your own. And that is a necessary first step. Look, you and I can't apply what we don't know. If we're ignorant of the Word of God, we cannot apply it. But knowing it simply is not enough. It is a necessary first step. But what God is looking for is application. And he says that's the difference between the house that will stand, the storms of life, and ultimately the final storm, which is the judgment of God, those that will withstand the storm and those that will not. So we're asking this question, how do we prepare for life's storms? Putting God's word into practice prepares us for life's storms. Putting God's word into practice, knowing it and applying God's word, that prepares us for life's storms storms. Again, knowledge is a great first step, but it needs to move beyond that. And sometimes we can find security in the knowledge and the study of God's Word and never, never get around to applying it. So when I graduated from seminary, Hope and I went to Latin America. Uh, we were going to Costa Rica for seven months to learn Spanish. Then we go to Chile as missionaries. And when we left for the institute, I had a friend tell me, Andy, learn a little and practice a lot. When we got there, we got a pamphlet that the founder of the institute wrote, and I'll never forget the first line. He said, you've, done, you've not come here to study Spanish. Dash. You've come here to speak Spanish. There's a difference. If you want to study Spanish, stay at your local junior college. You're surrounded by Spanish speakers, you get a chance to speak Spanish. How many have taken high school Spanish? How many remember this? How many, how many, how many do I have? Good, I've got a good, good career. So you'll know 
that in Spanish, every noun is masculine or feminine. So you need to know what's the gender. And you know, there's two forms of the verb to be, estar and ser. And you know, there's two forms of the past tense. And you get all this in the first two weeks at the Institute, because you're in class two hours every day. And so students would study, which, what's the noun? Is that masculine or feminine? When do I use a star? When do I use ser? And in the past tense, when, when, you, know, you had rules to use this, the preterior perfecto, preterior imperfecto, you used here, and, and studying these rules, and they never got around to speaking Spanish. You know what? They, they did great on the written tests, but at the end of the semester, they'd give you a, a, an oral test. They did lousy on that. Their knowledge was good, but their, their application wasn't. And, and part of it was getting out and speaking Spanish revealed our weakness. It revealed our need. So what Hope and I did is after class, we... we uh, signed up for this thing, and, and we would have a route, and you would go for uh, 10 different people, and you'd go three times a week, and you'd memorize a text, and you'd ask questions, and they'd speak to you, and by that, you'd learn Spanish. So the first time I went, I'm, and, and this is the first time I'm going on my route, I'm going to approach these people I've never done. I took high school French, so I don't have much background. So I learned, I memorized my text. Hello, my name's Andy. I'm a student. I'd like to practice Spanish with you three times a week for 10 minutes a day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Will you do that? The second line, I'm a student, it's going to force my hand. I've got to choose. Am I going to use a star or ser? So, hola, me llamo Andres. That's my first line. Estoy estudiante. Guess what? I was wrong. No, no, they say no, no. Soy estudiante. Okay. I, I mean, I'm nervous. I'm trying to remember this text. So I set it out to get the first one to agree. I go to the next person, the next merchant I'm going to go to. Hola, me llamo Andres. Estoy estudiante. No. Four times. Four times I got that wrong. And I've got to humble the school and and make this correction. So then what I do is I, I got my route set up and then I go home and I eat lunch. We live with a Costa Rican family. Then I go across the street, right across the street, to my neighbor Fernando. And this is where I learned to speak Spanish. Every day I went over there, he had an in home business. And so we would talk two or three hours. But one of the phrases I had to learn was I don't know how to say what I want to say. So I would talk to a point and then I'd have to say, uh, no say to see it, no que quiero decir. I don't know how to say what I want to say. And he'd say, oh, you, you want to say this. Yeah, that's it. And I began to, my Spanish began to, I was dependent on the Costa Ricans to give me the language that I was trying to learn, is my point. It was a very humbling process. Look, you get serious, I get serious about applying the Sermon on the Mount it's going to humble us. It's going to break us. Because guess what? You come up short. I come up short. Like I had to ask that, those Costa Ricans to help me, tell me what to say. We're going to have to ask, God, God I'm, I'm failing. This, this thing about that or the other. And, and so don't let knowledge get in the way of application. So let me walk us through. Jesus said, you get mad, you get angry, you're guilty of murder. He's serious about that. Oh, Andy, you don't understand, man. Anger is just, just kind of how I roll. Well, maybe it is, but God wants to change that. That's not a kingdom norm. You're going to need to take that before him. Hey, you look on another woman who's not your wife, you're, you're guilty of adultery. Hey, listen. It says, as long as I can remember, I've been uh, 
You know, I, I've been, I, when I get stressed, I get nervous, I, I just go to that, it's, it's kind of an escape. Maybe God wants to change, he's serious about that, he wants to change that. Hey, you know, th- this whole thing, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, Jesus said pray for him, I, I don't know that I can do that. Well, Jesus is serious about that. that he, you're coming up short, you're going to need a work from him. This whole di- idea of I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I, I kind of like that. that people's attention and adulation, and, and Jesus warns against that at the beginning of Matthew 6. Jesus said, that, that's a point of we need to begin to apply this, and it's going to break us. It's going to humble that. That part in uh, Matthew 7 about judgment being your default mode, I come in and I look at you, and I look down, and, 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 and Jesus, that, 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 that heart attitude needs to change. We fail in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, if we don't ask the question, where's the gap between our knowledge, what we've heard, and our application? So I'm asking you to think this through. Where do you come up short in applying this? We say, well, Andy, everywhere. Okay, pick one area. What's the area that's the greatest need in your life? And say, Lord, I want to get down to business. I want to be serious about this. And you may be as broken as I was those first days on the streets of San Jose. But what are we going to do? We're going to Learn a little and apply a lot. Remember, learn a little, speak a lot. Learn a little, apply a lot. And we're going to watch God grow us just as my Spanish crew. We're going to watch God grow us. That will prepare us for the final storm of life, but I would say it would prepare us for the different storms of life. People with anger issues tend to blow up relationships. Maybe something you want to deal with. People with lust issues tend to blow up marriages. You may want to deal with that. People with judgment issues tend to alienate people. They tend to be angry inside and deal with internal issues. You, you may, God says, I want to deal, you to deal with that, not only for the ultimate storm, but the storms that come up in life. Deal with that now. May I remind you that the time to prepare for storms is before they hit. Once they're there, and, oh, I, I, I've got a deficiency. You, you're too late. You're too late. Now is the time to be applying God's word that we might be ready for these storms and the ultimate storm in life. My first two years in college, my friend group at the center of it was my roommate. We went to high school together, and there was a guy who lived right below us. Uh, he went to the same high school. And his, that guy lived below us. His family became my second family. They came up for every home football game. They'd get a bucket of chicken. We'd meet with them after. It was only about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from A&M down to their house. We would, we would be there. Uh, like I said, my parents moved away at the beginning of my sophomore year, so I spent every holiday that sophomore year at their house Thanksgiving and breaks and everything we had. I loved being there. It was such a great time. Uh, let me catch it this way. Between, summer between my sophomore and junior year, I was working in the panhandle of Texas. July 4th weekend was going to be a three-day weekend, so I drove 4 o'clock Friday afternoon. I drove eight hours down to Houston. I got to their house at midnight. Dad was up. Son was up. Roommate was over. I'm usually kind of an early-to-bed guy. We played hearts for the next three hours. What'd you do? We laughed. Who won? I don't even know. Our goal, if you played hearts, the queen of spades is 13, was to give 
queen of spades to the dad every time. We just thought that was the greatest thing. Have you been there, though, when you're with the right people? It doesn't matter what you're doing. Oh, it's three. I guess we ought to get some sleep. Yeah, I've been on the road since four this afternoon. About a month later, my roommate called me and said, you need to get back. John has been in an accident. He was on a delivery for his uncle, came to the top of a hill. A lady driving on a suspended license came over the line, hit him head on. She got a three-stitch cut. His lungs never worked. He hung on for about three days, and he passed away. I remember, man, funerals are weird because it's sad, but you got people who come together. And again, you got college students who've been apart for a summer. We're coming together, and uh, we had the funeral, graveside, and then we, reception back at the house. And I don't think I exaggerate that it was an eight-block radius in their house in which people were parked. This thing was this, this celebration and sadness all together. I think we may have been the last people to leave, or if not last, some of the last. And so we hugged and we cried and we said goodbye. And I walked away with my roommate and a couple other people thinking, wonder what that house is like now. All the people have gone. All the well-wishers have been, all the kind words have been said. And now, you who were a family of four are now a family of three. In the bedroom, we went upstairs, and, and uh, there was a bunk, so I, I slept in that room with him a lot. And that's now empty. I hope they had prepared for the storm of life because it was on them, bang, in a minute. And it was too late at that point. What, on what have you built your ultimate hope is it in your son and your family, which is there's nothing wrong with love and family and sons and kids and parents, but they won't last forever. Is your hope ultimately in Jesus? Those moments come. My friends, it is time now to start building our foundation by knowing God's word and putting it into practice. We spent the last number of weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount and taking it apart in detail. It is a waste of time. It is a waste of time if we do not get to the application stage. So I have uh, many points here where I come up short. Let me take the most obvious. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, basically, I don't want you to worry. I want you to seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things like food and clothing will be added to you. I, I, I do a poor job applying that. But I'm, I'm in process. I'm growing. Uh, background, my, my parents grew up in the Depression. Uh, they stressed about money. They were always worried about every contingency. Throw in my personality, my environment, who I am, and I'm a stress case. So I was in graduate school. Um, I was close to finishing. I was one semester out. I was wanting to go on staff with Campus Crusade, which I eventually did. And um, but that was still, in, it had been a wild kind of circumstances that led me to being able to apply. And so we had finished the spring semester of 84, and I would either go to uh, 
finish my master's that summer in college station, or I would go to training in Fort Collins, come back and finish my master's, and I was waiting to hear from headquarters, from Campus Crusade headquarters in San Bernardino. And it always been, we'll get back, we're not sure, we'll get back to you. So we're down in Galveston, we finished the semester at somebody's beach house, we're having kind of a party, and I thought, I need to know, because this is like training starts in a month. So I call them up in headquarters, and guess what they tell me? Oh, we haven't made a decision yet. I hang on the phone, I'm stressed, rest. Remember, I'm with all the Christians, it's all 20, 25 of us that are Christians there. And somebody says, and I thought this was, and looking back on it, would be a good idea. They said, well, would you like to pray about it? You know, that's a, that's a biblical concept. We've seen that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so in being the godly man, I am, I was, I said, no, I don't want to pray about it. And I slammed the door and walked down the beach. And what was I doing when I was walking down the beach? I was worrying about it. Doesn't that strike you as odd? If you're thinking of going into vocational ministry, don't you think praying would be a good idea? I do. I do. In retrospect, I do. But I'm just sharing. That's where I come from. It's, and, and worry is a control issue. It's I can handle this better. Why don't you trust God? No, I, I think I, what I'm saying is I think I can do it better. I'm in process. I'm growing. But I ain't all the way there. So you're saying, Andy, you got issues? Yep, I sure do. I sure do in the Sermon on the Mount. What about you? What is the gap between your knowledge and your application? If this has been zowie, pastor, this has been good, this has been insightful, this, ooh, this has been good, then, then it, it hasn't come home. Jesus is not interested in your knowledge. He's interested in your application. Would you pick one area? Well, I got a bunch. Okay, just, just do one. Like learn a little, practice a lot. Learn a little, apply a lot. If you want to do two, knock yourself out, go for it. But don't, the whole study of the thing, don't let that keep you from getting to the point of application. Verse 28 and 29 says this, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching as one having authority and not as their scribes. The scribes, remember, this is theocracy. The scribes, the religious leaders, they have not only spiritual, but they have civil authority. And they're saying, we're seeing a difference in Jesus. Jesus has authority that these folks don't have. Why, why would you say that? Is it because of position or title? No. No, because Jesus doesn't have any position or title. He's a carpenter. These guys are, are, are the ruling powers in Israel. Was it because of education? No, because Jesus doesn't have any formal education. These scribes do. But they're saying, remember, Jesus is the one who has authority. Well, is it because of, like, may, maybe the the clothes he's wearing or, or his appearance, no. Because the book of Isaiah said that there was nothing uh, of Jesus' physical appearance that, that would draw us to him. So why are they separating Jesus as having authority that these people didn't? I can only deduce this. I'm deducing. It's his character. It's who he is. Jesus himself <laughs> applied the word of God. Imagine that. He lived in submission to the Father. Um, I don't know, it's the, the third or fourth beatitude is, blessed are the gentle. Gentle is power under control. 
Jesus lived that out. Let me tell you, in John 19, the time had come for Jesus' arrest, and the mob came. And, and Jesus said to the mob, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. Do you know what happened when he said, I am? Knocked everybody down flat. Just identifying himself as the I am, the eternal son of God, laid people out. Listen, if Jesus hadn't wanted to be crucified, there were many opportunities he could have flexed, he could have bowed up and showed these people and put them in his place. But no, he was in submission to the Father, and there was a bigger plan here. He was gentle. His power was under control over and over again. People saw that kind of character, and they thought, this guy, this guy has authority that no one else does that we might follow Jesus' model, that we might live out what he did by applying God's word and so preparing ourselves for life's storms and life's ultimate storm of God's judgment. 2010 was the year of earthquakes, at least a couple in this hemisphere. In January of 2010, Haiti has an earthquake of a magnitude of 7.0. As a result of that 7.0 earthquake in Haiti, 314,000 people died. In February of 2010, Chile has an earthquake of magnitude 8.8. So when you step up on the, the Richter scale, the, the impact, the power of the earthquake is exponentially bigger. Chile gets hit with a much bigger earthquake. Do you know what their casualty count was? 525 dead, 25 missing. So let's put those numbers together, 550. So here's my question. Why with a lesser magnitude of an earthquake does Haiti end up with 314,000 dead and Chile at the most end up with 550 dead. Why does it go down that way? Chile built according to code. In our time in Chile, years later, or years before, we experienced an earthquake. Our building didn't give. So Chile built the code and Haiti didn't. Well, why was Chile so selfish that they didn't give Haiti the code? Oh, the code was available to everybody. The Haitians didn't have the resources or chose not to use it. So they weren't prepared when the storm hit and the casualty count was astronomically higher. Do you understand? We have the code. Okay, it's free. It's available. If you don't want it in this book, it's on your phone. You can call it up. God ain't hiding the code. Friend, I don't mean to wreck your day, but if you don't have a storm, be of good cheer. One's on the way. And aren't you glad you came to church for that? The time to prepare for that storm is right now. Right now. How? By knowing and applying God's word. In a second, I'm going to pray. And then the worship team's going to come up, and they're going to sing a ta- song called Build My Life. 
That's a commitment to say, I want to build my life on God and his word. Are you in? What's the gap between your biblical knowledge and your biblical application? Jesus wants you and I to start closing that gap today in this moment. See, we prepare for life storms and life's ultimate storm by putting God's word into practice. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you left us with the coat, but we confess we don't always put it in practice. We've got our own way, our own busyness, our own reasons for either not knowing or not applying your word. We've taken time to look at your Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to live in your kingdom. Lord, I pray uh, we wouldn't fail by failing to apply. Jesus, convict us, then give us your spirit, your character, your nature, that we might live out this word just like you did. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.